Welcome to The Watershed, a podcast that explores relationships between people and water through shared storytelling. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit and community engagement program that engages with water through multiple ways of knowing, scientific and social, political and historical, intellectual and spiritual. The Watershed is a place where everyone is welcome because we are all connected by water. Thank you for joining us. In honor of the stories shared during our 2020 to 2021 tour, and in anticipation of new journeys to come, The Watershed is presenting a series of six episodes drawing upon generous storytellers from Morris, Mankato, St. Paul, Rochester, Chisholm, and Pipestone, Minnesota. Last time, we listened in on stories about the ways water changes and how those changes can affect our lives. Today, we consider the many meanings water can take. Water can mean something different to each one of us, and just as water changes, the ways we understand and relate to water can shift over time. So far, we've heard stories about water's power to both heal and destroy. Chai Lee from St. Paul reflects on this dual nature of water, how it can be both dangerous and necessary for life. For me, it's a double-edged sword because um, mm. I think of danger and, and death, uh, and I also think of how water sustains life because we, no one can live without water. And at the same time, um, you know, the bodies of water that we're all uh, familiar with in history, um, they, 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 they're a big part of our history and changing our lives. And when Hmong folks uh, fled the Vietnam War and a lot of them uh, drowned or died and got shot in the Mekong and, and didn't make it out here to the other side. And, and so water always has, you know, two two dual meanings for me. And then the first is life and death and um, or danger and death. And the other is, is how water sustains life. As Chai describes, water can symbolize both life and death, a big contradiction to hold. Yet somehow we move through our lives aware of these two meanings at once. How do you most know water? One place where we can begin is considering what water provides for us. Randy Sprock of Edgerton speaks to how water's value to him as a farmer shapes the way that he engages with it. Randy Sprock, I'm a producer from Edgerton, Minnesota. My parents uh, purchased this farm in 1960. And so uh, uh, after they retired, I actually came on the farm and, and started my career as a farmer. Uh, we've just actually, uh, my son is uh, going to be the third generation on this farm here. Animal agriculture has been regulated in the state of Minnesota here for many years. I was actually part of the feedlot uh, rule writing within the state of Minnesota. And I'm, so I should say I'm probably take more care and pride in what I do than maybe some other ones do, because I do see the value of that animal manure when properly used. I'm required by uh, uh, law to actually incorporate that manure. I can't spread it on frozen ground. I've got to be able to incorporate it, which is good. It's a good rule to have. The area where we live here on the Buffalo Ridge at 1,700 feet, uh, uh, we actually, uh, from my father to my grandfather, uh, water becomes very valuable to us. Um, the well that was on this place here, we literally uh, uh, called it Geritol uh, because it was so hard. 
we had a well digger uh, drill uh, uh, 300 feet deep and augered hole and basically came up with a dry hole. In other words, you didn't you didn't find water. And so I think uh, you know once you've been without water and you and you finally do get good quality water, you do realize how important it is uh, to sustain life. And so that's what's very important about you know especially me in animal agriculture and crop production. You realize uh, uh, that it is a gift, it is a blessing, and we need to be caretakers of it. I think uh, from my standpoint, we were very thankful when Lincoln Pipestone Rural Water came in so we could have rural water, high quality water, uh, to be able to not only provide uh, 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 for daily drinking water and, and cooking water, but also then for the ability to have uh, clean water and, and, and uh, fresh water for animal agriculture to be able to grow those animals uh, and utilize that uh, in this area here. Water is core to Brandy's livelihood and across generations in his family. His experience not finding access to water has helped him realize even further how precious water can be and has shaped his motivation to be a caretaker for it. And as Randy goes on to describe, there are responsibilities that come with choosing to take on that role of caretaker. I think uh, uh, also as agricultural caretakers, we need to be concerned about surface water, you know, surface water runoff. And I think that's where I talk about from our crop farming side. I think agriculture uh, has really evolved from you know, in my father's and grandfather's time, you know, you plowed the soil and, and you know, planted your crop. I think due to technology and, and you know, what we've learned, you know, we can practice no-till, strip-till, uh, vertical tillage, you know, where we're leaving more residue uh, on the soil. We don't need to leave it exposed. We can use cover crops. So we have the ability to retain and keep that soil in place and so that we don't have runoff. And so we keep the nitrogen and the nutrients in place to make sure that um, uh, our surface water does stay clean. Because water and water quality is important to Randy, he implements practices on his farm that help reduce runoff of things like nitrogen fertilizer, which can become pollutants. Being a caretaker of water means listening to what water needs and being open and willing to do things differently so we can better protect what water means to us as a life-giving gift. We can all do something to protect what water means to us. Abby Dekut also uses water as a part of her livelihood, in this case through her work on a vegetable farm. Abby reflects on the ways that her farm tracks their water usage and wonders about how she and other farmers can best manage and conserve water so it can continue to sustain both her work and the land. My name is Abby Dekut. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm from uh, Mankato, Minnesota. I have a big family, which is important to me. And I went to school at the University of Minnesota Morris. I just finished there in the spring of 2019. And now I am farming in Litchfield, Minnesota at a vegetable farm. On this farm, we water two different ways. We water by these big irrigation pipes that are really easy to move around or this uh, or drip, which is like a slower water system that you can put on like vining crops. And so we have a well here that we pull water from and one thing I think about a lot is how we have to track our usage to like report at the end of the year. But other than that, we still have an abundance of water available to us. So one of the things I'm curious about is like, what is one way we manage and conserve that? Abby describes water as something to be managed and tracked from where we get it to how we're using it. To Abby, water is essential to the success of her crops, something to pay attention to with diligence and care. There are many ways we can pay attention to water. 
through science and number-based measurements, or through simply taking the time to observe, contemplate, and celebrate the water in our life. And the more we pay attention to our particular aspect of water, the more questions and ideas we start to have. The best type of watering, I think, <laughs> is when it comes from rain and it's at the right time. But of course, rain doesn't, you know, rain goes on its own schedule. And so we got rain this weekend, but it was only a tenth of an inch. And so it wasn't enough to really soak plants. And so that's why we've been doing more watering. And this year, I'm really curious as to how do you water this much ground, especially in a dry season? How do you get things covered? And then playing with the weather? Because like, I think the best would be if you could have rain just cover your farm <laughs> once a week, but um, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, I know that we have to do water testing to assure that it's clean and safe water, especially because we wash the produce with it, and then that produce then goes to people's homes. Especially as, like, harvesting starts up four days a week, watering gets dependent on, like, if the crop needs what rain is coming, as well as when you're harvesting it, if something you want to be dried out before you harvest it. Like lettuce, for example, is a very, you know, there's a ton of leaves to it, and the more water on it, the more chance there is for rot. And so you really want to be watching how much water is on that, as well as it's a vegetable that loves water, <laughs> so it also tastes here with more. And so that's one where you're trying to balance multiple factors. So water makes this all possible. The more water it's thought of as like a common resource, the more it's protected, the more it's uplifted, the more it's celebrated. And so activities, dreaming about the different ways farming could connect people if water wasn't helping plants grow and if it wasn't nourishing us as we go about our work day and if it wasn't washing the vegetables as we pack them up, you know? And so those are like, it's utilization, but it also just Abby reminds us that water is ultimately something outside of our control. We can't decide when it will rain, but we can respectfully get to know water's patterns and be flexible in the face of its unpredictability. Abby also describes how different vegetables require different types of watering. Understanding those differences is part of Abby's job, and it shows another way of paying attention to water through understanding what different plants, animals, and individuals need from it, through queuing into how we can use water to fulfill needs other than our own. Water means something to us based on what we need from it, and means something different for a creature that uses water in a different way. Both Brianti and Abby highlight water as nourishing, sustaining, and essential. And when water fulfills those basic survival needs, it also gives us a space to dream, imagine, and create. For Deb Grebner from Mankato, water is a source of creativity. She describes how she makes art from natural materials collected around the Minnesota River and uses those materials to interpret the watershed and the water quality issues that are important to her. My name is Deb Grebner, and I live in rural North Mankato, Minnesota. I spend a lot of time outdoors. We're high up on the bluff overlooking the Minnesota River Valley. I am an artist on the side and my focus is on encaustic painting, which is painting with molten wax on a board and fusing each layer with heat. As I came to realize moving to Minnesota to be with my husband, who's a Mankato native, how great a role water plays in our community and 
on our property here where we're bordered by two ravines, growing ravines, and realizing just the power of water to move land and to carve it out. And my responsibility as a first-time homeowner of needing to take care and being able to take care of the resource by making choices about land management and just really getting to know more about how those systems work and how easily they can be disrupted by invasive species or by sedimentation, covering up native mussels or smothering fish eggs and all the pollution, I mean, just uh, litter that gets washed down into the river. The Minnesota River Valley was created over 9,000 years ago with the flow of glacial meltwater. The ravines that border Deb's property opened her eyes to water's creative ability to move and carve out the land. And yet, water's equilibrium can be just as easily disrupted. Another duality, this time between strength and fragility. There's a certain beauty in that complexity, which Deb has been exploring in a series of paintings. Related to this particular topic of water, I am working on an art series of encaustic paintings that interpret some of the challenges facing water quality in the Minnesota River Valley. Process is a lot of just playing around with materials until the story emerges. That was how I did in this case. The other thing I could say in terms of place and interpreting place for the watershed or water quality series, when I visited places, I was also collecting small bits of natural materials to incorporate into the wax. So a piece of those places uh, to recreate the texture of our sandy eroding bluffs, for example, or the thick, the rich agricultural land, the soil that is, is flowing off of a farm field near here that didn't have plants in it last year. It was just a bare field. And that rich, dark prairie soil was just flowing billows of it into a, the ditch that then feeds into the Minnesota River. Um, so I collected some of that from the ditch since apparently it wasn't important to the owners on, on the field. And, you know, I can incorporate that into my artwork as well. or use it as a starting point for a color match, but actually like to use the, the textures in there too. It's kind of cool to combine my love for encaustic painting and my love for interpreting our watershed and the water quality issues that are important to me. The acts of interpreting and emulating a place through art making became a way for Deb to make sense of her watershed and the water quality issues it faces. Deb's story shows us how there can be many ways of knowing water, both scientific and artistic. Combining these different ways of knowing can help strengthen our relationship with water. While Deb makes meaning from water through her art making practice, Mark Schatzky from Janesville who works with landowners to restore wetlands, offers a different perspective. Mark says his father, who was a farmer and very conservation-oriented, influenced and guided him towards a career in conservation, demonstrating how the meanings we have about water can be passed down to us from older generations. I'm Mark Shasky. I uh, work for Wasika Soil and Water Conservation District. I live in uh, Janesville, Minnesota. Depending on the, the time of year, Water is either a very valuable resource or it's a very costly liability. At the different times of the year, it's a resource, you want to hold on to it, and sometimes of the year, it's, it's a liability. The landowner wants to basically get rid of it, uh, drain it off as quickly as possible. You know, another big 
big part of our work is, is to be able to both preserve and restore wetlands to help a landowner through the process and actually restore some wetlands and habitat on their property. You know, looking up to my, my father, who was a farmer, very conservation-oriented, and he kind of passed those values on to me. So that, that was really the influence that kind of guided me towards a career in conservation, is to seeing his conservation ethic and seeing the, the value of that. Uh, and, and some of those are, are just some things as, as simple as something he may have said in passing. I remember him saying, water is, is always searching for its level. You know, as, as a young kid, why, why would I remember that now that, that I'm an adult? Uh, but it was just kind of one of those things that water's going to fall somewhere and it's going to flow, and that's the way nature is. He also, on the farm, we had a, a, a drainage ditch come through many years ago. But he made, instead of draining out some of the wetland areas, that were there, and he, he easily could have done that, both legally and, and physically at, at that point, uh, he chose to keep those because he also valued the wildlife, being able to go hunting and, and have a pasture or wild hay for cattle. So those are just kind of some things that, that stuck with me. Mark describes how water can be both a liability and a resource, reflecting again the ability of water to hold opposite meanings. How Mark works with those opposing dynamics is shaped by the values his father shared with him. But where can we begin if we never received that type of guidance growing up? How can we develop our own water ethic? Mark offers some thoughts. Having an understanding of water and the water cycle, I'd encourage a person to understand their water cycle. I look at, when I say that, I think about myself, I think about my home. Where does my water come from? My water comes from a well. Where does that come from? So it comes from an aquifer. The recharge area is probably a a couple hundred miles away. It may have been in the ground for a a thousand years. After I use it, you know, I can I can visualize the path it takes. Okay, or or if if water runs off my house, I visualize the path it takes. It goes down a a creek. It goes down another creek. It goes into Lake Elysian goes into the Lesseur River, down the Minnesota River. So I think having an understanding of where it comes from, where it's going, and, you know, my water that runs off my house could be the drinking water somebody in Mankato that comes out of their faucet. So I think having that understanding kind of puts a greater importance on water. For Mark, the process of learning about where our water comes from and where it goes is essential to understanding its importance in the context of our own landscape. But if you're itching to get to know your waters even more, you can do what Pat Baskfield from the Mankato area enjoys doing, spending some quality time in them. I'm Pat Baskfield, a hydrologist with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency and and I've, I've been with the agency for about 24 years. I've been fortunate in, enough to be able to or have been able to coordinate a, a statewide river monitoring program the last, well, about the last 14, 15 years. I've always loved the outdoors. And um, after moving to southern Minnesota, a lot of the lakes here are not the pristine lakes of northern Minnesota. They've changed quite a bit in the, the 24 years I've been down here. When I first got here, they were they were pretty good. You know, there was a handful of pretty good lakes. The fishing was good. But over time, you know, with the exotics and, and just uh, a lot of pollution going from these lakes, 
they were much less appealing to me. And, and, you know, and I live on a river and actually I, I lived here for two years before I even went down the river. The guy I bought the house from, he said, now oh, that river is a pretty dangerous place. And every time I went in my backyard, mosquitoes killed me in the summertime. So I never went down the river. And finally, after a couple of years, I thought, you know, I'm going to do this during the summertime. And I did. And it was fabulous. You know, once you get on the water, there's, there's no bugs. And, and it was incredible. I mean, I, I remember going down the river and this was springtime and, and it was just crazy, noisy. I mean, there's there so many birds and singing and, and ducks and geese and everything else. Uh, it just, it, it blew me away. I mean, it was such a different environment than a lake. I, I kind of switched from lakes to rivers. I, I've got a boat and I haven't had it on, on a lake in about eight years now because the rivers are so cool. You know, they, they just kind of suck me in. Um, they're, they're beautiful. They're different. You know, pretty much every time you go down them, something's a little bit different. And, and you know, which is you know, holds true with a lake as well. But, uh, but there's more change on a river, you know, flow and velocity in the river and everything else. So it's, it's kind of an ever-changing environment. The, the, they are, rivers are the best wildlife corridors we have in the States. And, and that uh, attracted me so much. I mean, I, I see more uh, oftentimes in, in, a, in the afternoon going down the river than most people do in a year. I, I don't say that facetiously. I, I, I truly do. So I always had this natural passion or kind of innate passion for the outdoors. But it was experiencing the rivers and kind of learning, you know, what's safe and what's not. And just the experiences that really have made me a river man, much, much more so than a lake man. I just, I love the rivers. The changes to southern Minnesota lakes that Pat observed nudged him into trying out river recreation, despite the warning he received from his house's previous owner. Now, Pat favors rivers over lakes and has been getting to know water all over again. The excitement, motion, and abundant wildlife Pat has been experiencing has brought him a new passion for the waters that he cares for. Water not only shapes our identity, but has many identities to us. Water's constant motion reminds us that nothing is ever static, including the way we understand water. The gift of that malleability is that we can keep revisiting the question of what water means to us and come up with a different answer each time. That continual act of checking in with water can also be a way of expressing respect for it, which we'll explore in our next episode on honoring the water. In the show notes, we've provided a link to further reflective questions that you can spend time on, whether with yourself or in conversation with friends and family. Until we see you again, may you make new discoveries into what water means to you and deepen into treasured ones. I'm your host, Megan Reich, signing off. If you enjoyed The Watershed and would like to support our work, please consider sharing this podcast and leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Special thanks to Leah Lim, Chambury Lee, and Aaron Dorbin, who conducted the interviews in this series. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit about water and people. We Are Water Minnesota is led by the Minnesota Humanities Center 
In partnership with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Departments of Agriculture, Health, and Natural Resources, and University of Minnesota Extension. We Are Water Minnesota receives support from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The Watershed is hosted by Megan Reich, a Minnesota Green Corps member serving with We Are Water Minnesota. You can visit us January 20 through February 28, 2022 at the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul, where we are showcasing the history and successes of the program. You can follow We Are Water Minnesota on Facebook and Twitter at WeAreWaterMN. Thank you.